Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Yeah. I've decided to stray off our subject of the theology of sex and uh, to share from my heart. We're going to return to the closure of our uh, series at what I would think it would be a more appropriate time later on in the year because I felt the need for us to change direction and I want us to head into something that is actually much more relevant uh, to where we're at at this very moment. And uh, I'd even go so far as to say that you can invite your kids to actually watch because I have a wonderful little book here called Where the Wild Things Are. Um, Still debating whether or not I'm actually going to read it, but we'll see. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, open our ears, clear our minds, take the load off, and speak to our hearts, I pray. Amen. Obviously, we're all watching the news. We're all on social media these last couple of weeks. To everybody, it's been absolutely life-changing, to say the least. Nobody saw the storm coming. You know, we always look at the other side of the world and figure it's going to stay there, but no, It has encompassed the whole world. You know, sometimes the the sea is calm and the winds blow softly. It doesn't really affect us. But other times when that wind rises, the sky darkens, we find ourselves in the midst of a terrible storm. We know that's the way that life is in many different ways. We all have faced times where things just don't make uh, any sense. And right now, we're all in the middle of it. Those times where your problems seem so big, your faith seems so small. Those times where you maybe have felt swamped or you're afraid, you know, that you're going to be taken over by whatever storm of life will hit you. And and we've all had feelings like that. I would have to venture to say that most of us probably feel like that right now. I think... uh, What we do know about life is very simple, is that the storms will come. The storms will come. Sometimes we see them off in the the distance, and other times they catch us by surprise. And uh, those times, you know, when they catch us by surprise, you know, it's, we're totally off guard. It's like being quarantined. Or maybe for you, maybe you lost your job. Maybe a family member is now seriously ill or you can't even access a family member because of the quarantines. Or what about Nashville a couple of weeks ago where they experienced tornadoes? Salt Lake City, Utah, last week had an earthquake. Even uh, Zagreb, I think, uh, Croatia had an earthquake today. So now their problems are compounded and the list goes on and on and on. And so in just contemplating on scripture, contemplating on where to go today, what kind of message to bring to you, the community. Uh, I realized as I was going through scripture that there are many different types of storms. Many different types of storms that we all encounter. There are normal storms. Matthew 5.45, Jesus said he causes the sun to rise uh, on the evil and the good and he sends the rains on the righteous and on the unrighteous. You know, you can see the storms, you can see problems, you can see difficulties, trials. They come to absolutely everybody. There is no exclusion. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you're going to be excluded by the storms of life. We simply live in a world that has storms as a natural part of life. Then there are some storms that we actually engineer by our own foolishness and even our own disobedience. That's the kind of storm that Jonah went through in the Old Testament when he tried to flee from God's will and God's presence. Jonah deliberately disobeyed God's will. God, what does he do? He sends a great wind. Next thing you know, Jonah's out of the boat. There are storms where we're dragged into by other people when you think about it. That's what we find happened to Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27. He he was a prisoner and he tried to warn the sailors not to move on that there were storms coming in. But they wouldn't listen. And so they went sailing and of course Paul ends up being shipwrecked because of the decisions of other people that he was with. You know what? There's also storms that God sends us for our own personal growth because we're in God's will. Now you think about that. That's a, that's an, a wow moment because many of us actually don't want to hear that. Just because you're encountering a storm in your life doesn't necessarily mean that you're out of the will of God or that you're willfully disobeying him. In fact, in Matthew chapter 14, which will be one of the two texts I want to refer to today, 
Jesus commanded, Jesus made, when you think about it, he made his disciples get into a boat and go back across the lake. Now you got to think about it. You have some fishermen here uh, in a boat in the middle of the lake and they find themselves in a storm. And these fishermen who have been on the water are afraid. And so you know it's got to be a bad storm. And you got to figure out whose idea was this in the first place. It was Jesus' idea. And they're right in the middle of God's will. But they're having a storm of their life. Job is another example. We read that when Satan came to God concerning what was happening on earth, God challenged him. He says, look at my servant Job. We eventually read that, uh, uh, you know, all about the boils and that Job had from head to toe as he sat on an ash heap. And, uh, you know, had he sinned? Well, obviously not. He was faithful. He was blameless in God's sight. And yet he was going through the storm of his life. Joseph, another brilliant example from the uh, Old Testament. He's a young man. He's sold off into slavery by his family of all people. Goes into Egypt, spends years in prison. You know, he's slandered by the wife of Potiphar. He's in an incredibly difficult time of his life. But when you look at it, he's in the center of God's will. You go back to the Apostle Paul. He went through shipwrecks. He goes through beatings. He goes through prison. He dies a martyr's death, but he's a man of God. One of the great men of history of the Christian church. And he was in the center of God's will. And so I'm saying for you today that it's possible for you to be obeying God, walking in in all the light that you possibly could, and be right in the center of God's will, but yet at the same time encounter a terrific storm. We all find ourselves there today. Mark chapter 4 has another great storm story. And I believe it best describes us, you know, some of us at times in our own life when, when things are really not going really uh, the way that we want them to. Any of you know the, of what I speak? How's it going for you now? You know, some of you just found out you had a spouse and children. Um, that's an interesting thing. You know, never mind Corona. You're now confined to areas. Can life not get even more messy? Never mind the relationships or trust issues or brokenness, aloneness, doubt, sickness, you know, job insecurity, financial insecurity. The list goes on. When you think about it, though, Jesus and his disciples were no different. Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Look how the disciples dealt with this storm. It says that the day... When evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke all over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? And he got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said, waves, quiet, be still, knock it off. That's my paraphrase. When the wind died down and it was completely calm, he said to his disciples, why are you guys afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I used to be a real big Charlie Brown fan when I was a kid. I had had a ton of paperbacks. I used to read them all the time, over and over again. Uh, there's one cartoon where he's building the sandcastle on the beach. He's obviously working at it for hours, and it's a magnificent piece of work, and he stands back to admire his work, and then, of course, a wave comes in and wipes out the entire sandcastle. Typical Charlie Brown. And he says himself, to himself, and the caption is this, I, I know there's a lesson in this, but I'm not sure what it is. See, every one of us have our sandcastles. Every one of us has had our sandcastles actually blown away at one time or another. And for some of us, that sandcastle was just wiped out before your eyes this week. Every once in a while, we have to back up and say, why am I being hit with this storm of life? We've all felt that at one time or another. We've all had our fair share of trouble. And now when we look at Scripture, as I said earlier, sometimes these storms in our life are caused by the devil. Sometimes they're caused by other people. Sometimes they're caused by our own foolish decisions. And sometimes God allows it. 
They come from different sources. But do they have a purpose in our life? You know, add to that, the storms of life reveal something very interesting about all of us. You ever notice that when you hit a crisis in life, that it can reveal the true nature of our faith? Or the strength of my commitment? And many times, storms expose the level of our maturity or the healthiness of our attitude. The storm reveals the measure of my teachability in this moment. We see that on the news of people just not honoring what the government is asking for us to do. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what do I learn and receive from the storms of life? You know, the chances are we never ask ourselves those questions when, you know, when everything around us is going well. But we ask ourselves that question when everything around us is in upheaval. And that's where we find ourselves today. Mark chapter 4 again, the disciples, they're not in a spiritual storm, they're in a physical storm, which is interesting. They left the shore that evening, everything was fine, Jesus was with them, but it takes a split second for things to go horribly wrong, and the winds pick up, the waves crash over the boat, they are afraid. And you think about it, when the storms come into our lives, what happens? They bring emotions of fear, they bring emotions of anger, of frustration, of uncertainty. Can I get an Amen. I got it from the the crowd here. Yeah, man, it's almost packed with social distancing. So if we know the storms are going to come, the next question is, you know, uh, how do we deal with the storms when they do come? The first thing we need to do is, I have to say this to you, never give up, people. Don't give up. Don't give up. We need to take the storm that is plaguing our life for what it is. And, 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 and that is a test or trial, temptation, whatever it is, but we have to remember that we don't give up. The next thing we need to do with our storms is we need to keep focused. Keep focused. It's so easy when times are hard to lose our focus on, on things that are, are really important or the tasks that we need to accomplish. we got to stay focused. And it isn't how Satan traps or entangles us, right? He tries to divert us off our purpose. But by putting other things in our life, he tries to break our focus. He tries to make us lose sight of the goal. And and that's why we need to keep focused. Don't give up. Keep focused. Do what you have to do. Take care of your family. Take care of your friends. Take care of your neighbors. Take care of those in need. Continue to make that difference. And also what we need to do in order to deal with these storms in our life is that we have to remember, we must remember to have faith. Have faith in Jesus. With faith in Jesus, we can be assured that no matter how bad things get, the storm will not stick around forever. Don't think that God has given up or abdicated and left the throne. God has not left the building. God is still on the throne And those of us who know him and who put our trust in him and him alone. You know, I don't put my trust in the government or in the World Health Organization. I don't even put my trust in myself. I can't put my trust in my money. I have to put my trust in the Lord Jesus. And when all the rest of it fails, when it all crumbles, when it all shatters, he will be there. That's the essence of our faith. What does Jesus do for us in the storm? When you look in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, we see that he prays for us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus came to this world to talk to us about God and now he's in heaven talking to God about us. The writer of the Hebrews said that that Jesus intercedes for us in our time of need. Literally in in the Greek it means in the nick of time. 
In other words, we are here on earth encountering the storms of our life and our Lord is at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding. He's praying for us. He comes to us. He ministers to us in the very nick of time. You know, you think about it. It's absolutely wonderful to have somebody pray for you. That's what we do here at Seoul. I believe outside the concept of casting vision and teaching my highest calling is to pray for you, to pray for members of our community and around the world. It's wonderful when we have our pastoral staff praying for you. It's wonderful for you to have a prayer partner praying for you. It's wonderful to have a family member praying for you. It's wonderful to have your life group or your church family praying for you. But the best news I got for you this morning is that as you walk through the toughest time of your life, Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is interceding for you. He is caring for you. He's taking your need to the Father. He knows all about our needs because he's been there. He's walked where we walked. He's felt what we felt. He's seen what we've seen. He's heard what we've heard. And he goes to the Father. He says, listen, that's one of my children. I died for them. And he prays for us during the storm. And during the storm, we see he's not aloof. He enters our storm. He comes to us. Back to the other storm story in in Matthew chapter 14. A little while before morning, Jesus came walking on the water to the disciples. Well, that, that, the whole passage talks about how Jesus puts the boys in the, in the boat, sends them out, and he goes off to pray. They get caught in the middle of the storm. They think it's over. What do they see? They see Jesus walking. It, well, they see something walking. They think maybe it's a ghost on the water. A little while before morning, Jesus came walking on the water towards his disciples. Notice how he comes to them. Notice how he comes to us in the darkest hour. The passage there says a little bit before morning, that's when Jesus came. He knows that the darkest hour of the night is right before the dawn. A little while right before morning. And he he walks into the storms of life at our darkest hour. The time when we're most needy. So both in Mark and in Matthew, the disciples were in the storm for quite a while. Is Jesus apathetic? No. Was he ignorant? Absolutely not. He saw everything. He knew where they were. He saw their fears. He heard their cries. But he didn't respond until the hour was the darkest. In Matthew 14, I love the fact that he enters the storm walking on the water. In other words, he actually comes walking in on the very thing that frightened the disciples, when you think about it. You see it there? And so in both Matthew and Mark, we see what they're worried about. They're worried about the waves. That the boat is being tossed back and forth. They're afraid they're going to drown. They're afraid it's going to capsize. They're looking at those high waves on the sides of the boat. They're bailing water out as fast as they can. And yet these guys are fishermen. They're experienced guys on the water. It's interesting that in Scripture that Jesus takes them out on the water and tests them in their own environment numerous times. They've been in water all their life. And yet they're scared spitless. The waves are coming. All of a sudden the very thing uh, that fears them, those high waves, the place of their greatest fears. And what does Jesus do? In Matthew, he comes walking to them on it. In Mark, he's sleeping in it. C.H. Spurgeon said, when God allows us to be put into the furnace, he goes with us. Be encouraged today. Another great passage of Scripture says, but now the Lord who created you, O Israel, says, don't be afraid. I've ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God. Remember, people, that Jesus ministers to us in the storm. Jesus ministers in spite of our misunderstanding. Jesus ministers to us in spite of our fears. He does. You see, the disciples have seen Jesus do some wonderful things. But they have never seen Jesus minister to them at their darkest hour, their most difficult hour. And now it starts. 
Clyde Gordon was completely paralyzed from his neck down. He wrote that Christ is no security against storms, but he's perfect security in storms. He doesn't promise an easy passage, but he does guarantee a safe landing. David said in Psalm 71, you write, Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. God is at work in your life. Even when you don't recognize it, even when you don't understand it, He is in the storm with you. He is calling you to rise above it, keeping your eyes on Him during the storm so it doesn't get you down. We read in James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he, was, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So let me say this now. This leads me to reassure you that, listen people, the storm will end. You hear that? The storm will end. Now, again, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a storm that stuck around forever. The rain ends. The snow stops. The winds calm down. And I know that we have some snow here still outside. It's a little chilly. Well, maybe not today, but yesterday it was when I was writing this. And sometimes it kind of feels like, you know, winter may last forever. But what eventually happens? The sun comes out. The temperature rises. The snow melts. Before you know it, spring's going to be here. We can take hope in that fact, right? That no matter how bad things get, the storm will pass. The rain will stop. And Jesus' disciples saw the same things. They thought that the storm may you know, last forever when they were in it, or at least long enough to put an end to them. But what do we see from the story? We see that the sun, not the sun, that the sun comes out. And what does he do? He calms the winds and the waves and the storm that they were so worried about. And isn't that the way it usually goes? When we realize that we can't do it on our own, that's when we ask for help. That's when we start looking for Jesus. And why do we do that? We do that because we know that Jesus will always be there to calm the winds and the waves of our spiritual lives. He will always be there to strengthen and comfort us. One question I have for you is this. What do we do with Jesus after the storm is gone? And I think that's an answer that, that shouldn't be missed. Again, we put our faith in Christ. And now you might be asking yourself, well, maybe you're tuning in, you're going, why should I put my faith in Jesus? Well, the storm ain't over yet, for starters. And even when the storm does end, Jesus is still present. The fact of the matter is Jesus always remains. He's always here. And just because Jesus is there in the storms of your life doesn't mean that we don't look for him in the good times of our life as well. Maybe that's you know, part of what has happened to some of us as we've been cloistered to our homes and forced to reflect and now we're counting our blessings. You know, that doesn't mean we only ask for help, his help and guidance in bad times. Because as I read scripture, he wants to be there for us when things are going great as well. He wants to share in our joys as well as our sorrows. And when I say to you that Jesus remains, I mean always remains. When the storms come, we've got to remember to put our faith in Christ because he will help us through those tough times. There's this thing called the peace that passes all understanding. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And when those storms leave, and they will leave, we have to remember to keep our faith in Jesus because he will help us put our lives back together again, strengthening and encouraging us along the way. I'd like to know how many people actually have read this book where the wild things are. Uh, I remember this a long time ago when it came out. Uh, Maurice Sendak is the author of this book and it's about a, <clears throat> a little boy who's sent to his room without dinner. And... Uh, the Night Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind. 
and another. And of course, the pictures are showing him being a bit of a brat. Maybe some parents relate to that right now. His mother called him wild thing. (laughs) Of course, a song pops into my mind when I hear that. And Max says to his mom, I'll eat you up. And so he went to bed without eating anything. So again, the premise of the room is, or the story, sorry, he's misbehaved. Gets sent to his room without any dinner. Some of my kids can say amen to that. He was obviously misbehaving. His mom obviously had to put him in a timeout. He obviously goes to his room not wanting to uh, be obedient, but has to. It's discipline. And upon the entry of his room, an adventure takes place. He travels to the places of the wild things, where the wild things are. These hideous creatures, these wild things of, of great size, these we would call monsters, but they're wild things. They greet him with roars, with fierce yellow eyes, sharp teeth. But again, he's a wild thing himself, according to his mother. And the story goes is that he doesn't hesitate to quickly become their king. Love it. And now that he's king, they party. A great havoc is raised at his request. This treacherous delight abounds throughout the book. And yet, at some point, he longs to be where someone loved him best of all. And so what does he do? He returns home, bidding the wild things goodbye on their shore. And then when he finally arrives back to the safety of his room, he finds his supper waiting for him. And with great delight, the narrator informs the reader that the little boy found his supper still hot. This is a simple tale that corrals the wild things inside all of us. Wild things like fear, like doubt, like impatience. You know, these are the things that we can name, we can explore, and, and that we feel. And I think it's actually very appropriate for us today. Why? Because we actually find ourselves locked in a room. You know, this book brought my mind to, you know, the fact that we are under a lockdown. And our imaginations can run wild. You see social media, how kids are being creative and people are being creative. But I can't explain it, but it has also brought me to the communion table. I stumbled across an article of an interview with Maurice Sendak, the author of this book. And in that, he describes how a young fan of a book, another little boy, wrote him um, a little card with a little uh, um, note. And uh, so what he does is that uh, the boy did his own little drawing and a little thank you. And so what Sendak did is he actually responded uh, by sending him a card, and he drew a picture of a wild thing on the, uh, on the card, and he sent it back. And in the card, he wrote this. He said, uh, Dear Jim, loved your card. And then he got another letter back from the mother of the little boy. And the letter from the mother says this, Jim, loved your card so much that he ate it. And Sendak goes on to say that it was one of the highest compliments he'd ever received. He didn't care that it was an original Morris Sendak drawing or anything. He saw it, he loved it, and he ate it. And the interaction in this story is a simple way of actually understanding the communion table. Now, it's a bit of a stretch, but I think it works. In the act of breaking bread and drinking from the cup, Christians hear what Christ did for them, and they love it, and they eat it. And just as the little boy in the book finally returned home to the place where where somebody loved him the best, Jesus actually invites us all the time to come to the table. He invites us to return from wild ventures of the week, the craziness of the week, the treacherous delights of the week, the numerous missteps that we have taken this week to a place where we are loved the best. And when we return from that chaos and that havoc that we raised, we find the dinner in our room still hot. We all know what really happened in the boys' room. In reality, he gets in trouble, rightly so. He's sent to his room to cool down. 
falls asleep, has a dream. In reality, mom there was probably relieved that he was out like a light. She didn't want to wake him because like who would when you got a kid going off the walls, right? And after all, you know, he was sent to his room for being a wild thing. But she does leave him a hot supper to ease that stomach of his if he wakes up with a midnight hunger, right? You know, it's interesting when we look at kids, they often let their wild things loose. We got to have our granddaughter. She did a sleepover Friday night, so Friday night, Saturday, just a great time building tents. And you could see them just, she could see her just letting loose. You know, children are good at that. And for some of you, <laughs> they're really good all week long. But as adults, you know, we contain our wild things. That is until the beasts actually become too big and too scary and too strong. Kind of like this vile outbreak we're living through. When you look in the Bible, in John chapter 20 and in Acts chapter 1, there's familiar settings begin to materialize at the upper room. You know, most of us identify the upper room as a place that how it was the Last Supper. But after the crucifixion and the resurrection, the upper room becomes something more. It becomes a place where, can I say that, the wild things gather. In John chapter 20, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. So now you see that we are actually reintroduced to the upper room and it has a locked door. And I would suppose I'd lock my door too if I knew that I could be attacked by the enemies of Jesus at any point in time. But the creature that couldn't be locked out, that was running wild and rampant in the upper room that day amongst the disciples was fear. That yellow-eyed monster breathed heavily on all of Jesus' followers. And any minute, those who killed Jesus could find themselves knocking on that door and knocking off that lock. The second wild thing that was present in that room was doubt. Thomas, one of the disciples, he epitomizes the emotion with this demand to place his fingers in the nail marks and his hand into the side of Jesus. And the final wild thing that shows itself not only in the room but carries out outside of the room is impatience. You know, the, they acted, the disciples acted without the leading uh, of Jesus or the empowering of the Holy Spirit. They were told to go and wait. And Acts 1 tells us that Matthias is chosen to take the place of Judas. Fear, doubt, impatience now. Are emotions too big for the disciples to hide? Jesus had been killed. The wild things could not be denied their space. They were running wild. We, we all have times that, that bring similar reactions, especially today. Life gets too complicated. You know, or what was promised or not delivered or, or danger just gets too close. Now there's angry outbursts, uncontrollable sobs, quick and foolish words are said and rushed decisions are made. You know, the wild things are close by and sometimes though, when you think about it, they actually get into our room. They get into our space. When I read the scriptures and I read history, I'm, I'm actually convinced that you know, fear was always nipping at the disciples' heels. You know, after Pentecost, you know, every disciple had to chart their own path, right? They get filled with the Holy Spirit and then they disperse. A few stayed in Jerusalem, but the majority of them scattered. And, and we, what we do know is that the world changed because of that. Reports and legends abound that, you know, I have to be honest, they're not always reliable. But it's safe to say that the apostles went far and wide as messengers of the risen Jesus. And early legend said that they, uh, and again, I don't know if this is true, but they cast lots and they divided up the world to determine who was going to go where so that all could hear about Jesus. What we do know is that they suffered greatly for their faith and in most cases met violent deaths on account of their bold witness. All of the disciples, with the exception of John, were martyred. Fear had to be just a possibility of death. Was that they realized that the possibility of death was just around the corner. 
And my point is this, great adventures are always accompanied by our wild things, by our fear, by our doubt, by our impatience. And those three wild things are always nipping at our heels. I think the question is, can we tame them? I think what is refreshing when we read about the scriptures in John and Acts 1 is what's refreshing about the upper room is that it became a safe place, actually, when you think about it, for those wild things to roam freely. Everyone gathered in, in the upper room. Everyone shared their fears. They shared their doubts. Everybody was obvious that they were impatient for God to work. They needed God to show up. And these daring followers, they actually had a place and a people who accepted them at whatever level of faith and belief they offered. Isn't that amazing? You know, this is, again, evidenced by Thomas's entry after his seemingly impossible demand about the resurrection. The upper room was a safe place to let the wild things roam. They caused the disciples to name Matthias, but they also united them to be present when Jesus appeared with them in the upper room. Jesus comes in. Jesus shows up. He calms them down. One of the first words that comes out of his mouth is what? Peace. Things changed. Things changed and the wild things were reduced. On the day of Pentecost, fear seemed to be in short order as the upper room door was unlocked and the blessing of the Holy Spirit spilled all over the streets. Thomas had a life-changing moment that put doubt on the back burner when the resurrection Jesus suddenly appears before him and says, go ahead. And Matthias, interesting enough, is not mentioned beyond being named as a replacement disciple. But another choice for the 12th disciples' role is, and I would presume it would be Paul, although it's never really formally named, Paul becomes a disciple in the truest sense of the word. John 20, Acts 1, tells the story of the upper room as a waiting place. We need to make the most of our waiting places when the wild things in our lives are made welcome. Wild things like fear, like doubt, like impatience. When our emotions are honored and recognized and not hidden, we actually give ourselves the gift of owning them and dealing with it listen it's okay for you to feel how you feel it's okay for you to feel how you feel and let it go remember our wild things don't own us and we ready ourselves now for God's next move the storm that we find ourselves in will end. When the little boy of our story is banished to his room, the adventure begins. When he returns to his room, that meal is waiting, it's still hot. That room is a safe place where the wild things roamed in his dreams, where he was a wild thing himself. And so I trust that you're prepared to do communion in your own place today, in your own room. And as you come to the table, I want to remind you that your room, where you find yourself right now, is a safe place. It's also a safe place for wild things of all shapes and sizes. It's a place where wild things gather. So to one wild thing, to a bunch of others, the supper is still hot. This is Christ's table. Christ our Lord invites us to this table. He invites all those who love God. He invites all of us who earnestly repent of our sin to seek to live at peace with one another. And so take a moment. Have your elements ready. But first, let me pray. 
Jesus, we come to you and your table and we're not alone. All of us have our inner wild things. You know our thoughts. You know our fears. You know our doubts. Our impatience, just to name a few. This last week, maybe we've attempted to tame them. But it's also possible, God, that they just got the best of us. So my prayer, God, is that you'd give us courage to imitate our Lord and to embrace our wild things that we want to actually hide from the world and ourselves. For in that love, God, though, is transformation. And I'm reminded as we come to your table in this act of eating and drinking, we freely give our wild things to you. We freely take the sacrifice and the meal before us. And Jesus, thank you. Thank you that it's still hot. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks. In your own way at home, give thanks. If you're participating with other people or even by yourself, take a moment, give thanks. Once you have done that, break the bread, because that's what he did. He broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's participate together. When the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples. He said, look, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's participate together. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer our wild things that they may find a safe passage home. Not only in the eyes of God, but in the depths of our own heart. For Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. I've asked our worship team to lead us in this next song based on the prayer of St. Patrick. Why don't you sing along with them? Oh 
Pray for. I trust I'm on. Hang on. Yep. Things to pray for. Something to add to your day. Manage this craziness. I think never before has there been a reason to call on all Christians around the globe to prayer against the threat that affects the entire world at the same time. So God, our desire is that this place is not only a place of refuge, but a place where you can meet us in our weaknesses, but also in our storms. God, I pray for those who are carrying around unspeakable burdens today, that they are driven by forces that they, they just can't even begin to name. And I ask that this morning you would be able to take, we would be able to take that one step of freedom into wholeness, into healing, into safety. May we be the type of church, even though we are in our own homes, that gives life to those around us. So God, move in our lives, move in our hearts, convict us, and show us things that we haven't seen before as we lift up our nation and our world to you. Show us a new revelation of your love and your power and your Holy Spirit. And I ask you to minister to all of our spirits at this very moment. And where there is pain, God, give us your peace and mercy. Where there is self-doubting, release a renewed confidence in your ability to work through us. Where there is tiredness or exhaustion, I ask to give an understanding of patience and strength and submission to your leading. God, where there is spiritual stagnation, renew us by revealing your nearness and by drawing us into greater intimacy with you. Where there is fear, reveal your love. Release us, God, to your courage. And if there's sin blocking God, reveal it and break its hold on our lives. Give us a greater vision than just for ourselves. Even now, begin to raise up leaders and, and friends to support and to encourage us around us. God, bring a quick end to this virus. Bring a healing to our city, our nation, our world, our frontline workers. I ask you in these things, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. On Wednesday at 7 o'clock, tune in. Uh, it, we'll, we'll announce it on social media, whether it's live stream or, or um, uh, Instagram or Facebook Live. We haven't quite figured out exactly what platform we're using. But tune in Wednesday night for prayer and for teaching. If you need prayer, contact the office. Also, pastoral care. Pastor Joanne is available. She is on self-quarantine right now. I delivered popcorn to her at the beginning of last week, but her number is 204-226-7254. 204-226-7254. You can call her. You can text her. She'd love to chat. She'd love to pray. In ancient time, the one who blessed and extended his hands for a blessing, those receiving a blessing did likewise. Here it is, soul. Remember that especially during the storm, as you find yourselves banished to your rooms, that Christ is with you. That he is before you, he is behind you, he is beneath you, he is above you. Remember that he is on your left and that he is on your right. And he is with you when you lie down, when you sit down, when you arise. And most importantly, he is in you. Be blessed. Live the church. Tune in all week. Later.